0: Uh, that and very few people go to libraries to get to make their lives better they go to libraries for research right it's the difference between like youtube and google like you google something you know to find out information but you go to youtube to learn right um or podcast for example like you'll go to a podcast to listen to a podcast like this to learn from somebody and to figure out what you need to do next as opposed to if you're just like oh you know um who's Victor Bell, you'll Google that, and then all my information will come up, but you won't really learn anything. It'll just be confirmation. So I feel like libraries are a little bit more for that.
1: Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today we have Victor Bell on, a man who is in multifamily, has done a lot of single family, does a lot of investing, helps people invest, has got a really crazy story, best-selling author. So we have a lot to talk about today, but Victor, as always, if you'll take us right in, what's the craziest real estate
0: experience you've had so far in your life? Uh, Thanks, man. Great question. Again, thanks, Matt, for having me so much. Um, And it's funny, I love that this, this is the first time somebody's asked, so it's the first time I've actually shared it. I actually picked up a property from a lady who was an older lady. She called based on some marketing. This was years ago and um, went to her house and sat down. And first when I got there, do you remember that scene in Joe dirt where he got adopted by the lady with that dog that humped his leg the whole time? (laughs) Yes. That was real for me. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) I go and I sit down. She starts talking about, you know, her husband and them splitting up and getting a divorce. She has all these like, dolls and like these crystal things like on the window seal. So her dog comes in and he's like kind of on the couch and I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, cause we're trying to get a deal. And sure enough, the dog kind of smells and I'm petting him and he crawls on my lap and then he gets on the floor and he starts like humping my leg and she's talking and she doesn't stop him. And I'm kind of like petting him and kind of pushing him down a little bit and he's getting faster. And then before you know it, I'm kind of like kind of shifting a little to push him down and still look at her because you know, try to stay engaged. She's crying. The dog's humping me, and I'm just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like
1: she's this- crying. Tell me about that. Yes.
0: She was talking about her divorce,
1: so oh. she starts
0: reliving this in front of me while I'm getting molested by her dog. So like, like, <laughs> and the you whole you start story- crying, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, like this thing better pan out. Like you know, like, <laughs> right. so I I was there for two and a half hours. I think her dog like left, got tired of my leg, came back, got on the other. I was like, man, okay, he's recovered. He's in for round two. She was still talking and I was, yeah, it, oh, it was, that was my craziest story. But I know if anybody's ever watched Joe Dirt, that's me. <laughs> the only thing was missing was my mullet. Um, <laughs> so so the, the question is, right, did, did it pay out? Did you get the deal? It did, man. It did. I actually got the property. <laughs> this was That would have been my worst story. It would have moved away from wacky to worst had I worst. Not got the property. Totally.
1: Amazing. So take us back to the very beginning. I mean, what, what
0: led you to get into real estate and what was like even, uh, for you as a young person? Sure. So, um, you know, I give you kind of the cliff notes on my world, right? So I left my mom's house when I was about 12 and a half. Um, my parents split up when I was young. I eventually moved with my dad when I was about 13 or so. I had my first kid when I was 14 years old. Um, got kicked out of high school, <laughs> like it, like later on during my senior year, finished school. And later I went to the army, got out of the army, quit college off of its free college money. Cause you know, they're like, yeah, join the army, you pay for your college. So, um, and then I was like going to, going there for the first semester and not showing up for class. And they were like, Hey, Vic, if you come back, you're going to owe money. You got to pay that back. And I was like, what? I, no, no way. So, um, I got, end up getting in trouble. I was kind of hustling and, and got busted and, and was on probation um on probation naturally if anybody's ever been in trouble or been on any level of probation there's things that you have to do so i needed to get a job and i got a job i got fired from a bunch of jobs because i was on probation They're like "Yeah, hey, you can't work you're on probation and i got a job and everyone hated that job i was, it was this was in texas i was in texas at the time and um i was driving home from work fell asleep behind the wheel because i worked nights and uh, woke up on the side of the road and i was like all right tomorrow i have to do something different so i was I drove to Austin, went to a bookstore, sat on the floor, looking up at all the business books. And there was a book in there about real estate. And I I sat down on the floor. I went there every day during that week and read that book. And I was like, you know what? I I, I think I can do this. And that started me on my real estate journey. That first year, like I was telling you, like I did a million two in real estate deals and those transactions that first year, I had no idea what I was doing. Like if any of you guys have ever read a real estate book from the nineties, there wasn't much in it. (laughs) <laughs> so you know it was like a lot of you know stories and stuff but here's what you do so but that's how i got started that was my entry point of this but i i knew just for my job everyone hated that job people who had been there for 10 years already didn't want to be there anymore and i was new and i knew that that wasn't going to be my end but i burned a lot of bridges prior to that dropped out of college i got out of the military i had a kid early um, you know, left home really young. So it isn't like I had like this booming future ahead of me. Right. Um, so that was my acceleration moment, if, if you will, like people like, uh, you know, where do you think your world would have been? Had you not and like, dude, I have no idea. I'd probably be in jail or dead or prison. Not that life goes that way, but it, it could have. Right. Cause I mean, when you have a, you know, when you have somebody like myself, a lot of pent up energy and demand for myself, like, I would have probably got into some other business or something, but you know, who knows, you know, what led you into that bookstore? It was called fast cash with real estate by Ron LeGrand. So that was that book, but be honest with you, what was really in the book? is people like, Oh, I'm gonna check that book out. I'm like, it's probably been re, you know, redone over the years. But the only, the thing that got me was there was a script in the book. It, It was like, call, call for sale by owners and read this script. And literally, if you do real estate today, it's like, what's the minimum amount you could take, the least amount you could take for your house? Is that the best you can do? Like, that's the equivalent of the negotiation strategies in that book, which we've all heard, which is funny. But um, it was enough to get me started. It was enough to like, like I tell people, like you sometimes when you're in the beginning, you don't want to rely on your own confidence. One, because you don't know what you're doing. You just latch on to someone else's confidence and use that until you can make it your own. And that's what I did. And I found people to help me along the way.
1: And so, and so my curiosity is like, you're on, on a certain path. Mm -hmm. What even made you want to go into the bookstore
0: at all? It was either that or go back to that job that I hated. Like I didn't know where, I mean, think about it. Now everyone has the internet. You can look on your phone, you can pull stuff up. There was no place to get information about where to go. Right. I didn't have any contacts. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the credit at the time. So it's like, okay. So, so at the time, you, you, you know, there's only books. There's only that right so so at the time so it's like bookstores or the library (laughs) you know um you know so i you know that that's why that was that way
1: and bookstores were probably a better source right because i mean while the library has all these books the bookstores are probably selling the books that people are actually buying and people you know the more up to -to up-to-date books
0: yeah on that and very few people go to libraries to get to make their lives better they go to libraries for research right it's the difference between like YouTube and Google, like you Google something, you know, to find out information, but you go to YouTube to learn, right? Um, Or podcasts, for example, like you'll go to a podcast to listen to a podcast like this to learn from somebody and to figure out what you need to do next, as opposed to if you're just like, oh, you know, um, who's Victor Bell, you'll Google that. And then all my information will come up, but you won't really learn anything. It will just be confirmation. So I feel like libraries are a little bit more for that.
1: So you get the book, you start taking some action. Was your life immediately set on the right path, or or how
0: did things evolve from there? Um, I got the book. I called some numbers out of the out of the yellow page. No, I'm sorry, out of the the newspaper for the house. Someone was like, "Yeah, sure, bring me the money down." I was like, "Holy hell!" That guy said yes. I have no idea what to do next. There was no chapter <laughs> on that in the book, right? <laughs> um, but the book did say call like you know mortgage companies and banks and stuff like that and, and, and ask them to, you know, for money and investment partners and who do you know, blah, blah, blah. So I basically called all the numbers in the phone book, which in the yellow pages in Austin, Texas was like this thick of all the mortgage companies. And I went from the A's to the S's before I got somebody who would actually say, yeah, you know what? Okay. Uh, what did you need? So Bob and Bob and Jamie, they own the mortgage company. Jamie's actually my investment relation, my investor relations manager for Bell Capital right now. She actually still works mm-hmm. with me. Um, but Bob was like, yeah, come on in. He was like, you don't even know what you're doing, do you? And I was like, no. So, um, you know, but I, but to your point of mindset, I was like, Hey, I'm willing to do whatever if you'll help me. Right. I'll clean coffee stains off your desk. I'll cut your grass. I'll wash your car. I hate doing all of those things. If you ever talked to my wife, she'd be like, he doesn't do any of those things he offered to do for Bob. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) so, but, but he was like, yeah, come on in. Turns out Bob actually was, this was in, in anybody who's ever been a real estate seminar we call them the traveling circus, right? Like Bob and Jamie actually had a company that bought and sold notes, structured notes, creative financing, things like that. They work with Ron, ironically, just like that, just sharing with people how small this world is. He said, come on in. I told him the book I read and told him what I had done. He's like, I actually work with them. We work with the company, we travel around, we teach this, we go through seminars and stuff like that. Our mortgage company structures notes and buys notes, blah, 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 right? So I was like, really? So. I got the opportunity to kind of get inside and see how the sausage was made. So yes, he introduced me to a partner. He became a money partner for us. We closed those deals. And then he was like, hey, go back and ask that guy that said yes on the phone to the house if he has any other properties. So I called him back and I was like, hey, you know, his name was Junior. I was like, hey Junior, you have any more properties? He's like, yeah, I got 300 properties. Uh, Let's sit down. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, which is how I got all those properties that first year so it was how many did you buy your first year uh, i was 24 24 properties <laughs> which is 1.2 million right if i if i remember correctly. yeah yeah because back then you know properties weren't that expensive as they are now but primarily the only house in that package was one house the rest of them were duplexes triplexes uh 16 unit a 12 and eight plex like the rest of them were multifamily again Now, bear in mind, I went from like falling asleep on the side of the road to getting a book from the store to going into a company now with Bob and Jamie sitting down, learning creative financing and how they structured it to now all of a sudden bringing a package of deals to a partner that funded them. And now I'm overseeing all these people that I had no idea what was happening. So it was a lot of lessons for me to be like, oh, wow, there's all these tenants now that me and my partner have to be responsible for and let me figure out how to do this. Let me make these phone calls. Let me understand leases. When Bob Bob and Jamie they taught me a lot. Um, I had to get a management company, made a friend with the management company because I self-manage all of our stuff and start asking real questions. I have no problem asking people questions and telling people I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, no whatsoever, even to this day.
1: What did your life look like after buying those 24
0: properties? Busy busy because I quit the job. So I quit the job that I was working at that I hated. And I started going to Bob and Jamie's office, um, all the time. You know, I, kind of had to still get another job because it was like, I wasn't getting paid there, but I had these properties that, you know, show up for probation at the time. So, but my life changed because I had assets and I try to tell people like new real estate investors and they're like, ah, I'm going to buy all these properties and I'm going to be free. I'm like, well, you won't, you'll be, you have more flexibility. But you won't be free you will still have to work generate some type of income or revenue with whatever it is that you're doing right sales job or whatever you got going on because while this is happening you're building your net worth and your portfolio that pays in over time if you have multifamily, you know everyone's like yeah but you know you have a fourplex and it's making money i'm like well 50 percent of that's going to go to your expenses and you're still going to have to pay your debt so in a fourplex which is why i said don't do fourplexes go a little bigger one of your units is probably going to be your your income And if you were like, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to live in one and rent out the other, it's like, cool, then you get free rent. So you're still going to have to go do more deals or you're going to have to come up with some way to generate revenue. So this is a business. So, but to your point, my life changed because my flexibility changed and I had some assets and allowed me to have bigger conversations with people who probably wouldn't have taken my phone call had I didn't have. So that was the big, that was the big change.
1: What did, like, if we, if we review that purchase is $1.2 million purchase, what were the yeah. properties worth when you bought it? And what did the cash flow look like?
0: Ooh, man, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. And, and mm. that's a real, that's a real thing because I was learning. So Bob mm. and Jamie kind of took care of a lot of that, but the cash flows from these properties were literally negligible. They covered the, yeah. they covered the, the payments and they covered like their returns that they needed to make on their money. And I was really kind of in a learning capacity when we sold, I made some money, but at the time it was like five grand, 10 grand maybe 20, um, you know, things like that. I got the opportunity that springboarded me into buying other deals. I got into like subject to deals. Then I got into buying my own small multifamily deals. Um, And I did probably what everyone else did. As every, you and I were talking about it, every strategy that comes out that's based on market conditions, buy tax liens, um, buy with a lease option, um, you know, do agreements of sale, which are land contracts, depending on what of the country you're in. I started bouncing all over the place until I found the strategy that really set well with my personality. Um, I don't like fixer uppers. I learned that from that first portfolio. (laughs) I don't want to paint and have cockroaches jump out on the back of my neck as I run away. Like that's not real estate investing. I get into real estate to your, to your original point because I wanted to make money, but I found what I was doing was getting deals and I was in the weeds and I'm not a contractor. I'm not a hammer guy. I've never, I didn't even cut my grass. So I started kind of moving away from that. And I found out of all of those properties that we got that first more portfolio, the multifamily made more money than the one single family house that we got inside of there. We immediately got rid of that thing. I was like, let's get rid of this first, right? We did that, got some money back and then paid Bob and Jamie back. I made a little bit of money. And then I'm like, okay, while I'm managing these I'm gonna go start buying more property. I picked up a house. I picked up another, you know, duplex. We um I went back to the original guys that we got a property from. They introduced me to somebody. I flipped a mobile home park, right? It was like 30 mobile homes, and I didn't even know what I was doing. Again, I can't stress to you at the time I didn't know what I was doing. What is happening now makes all of not knowing what you're not what you're doing go away. You can Google this stuff and get, you know, an unasinine amount of information. At the time, it was really me in Texas talking to horse traders, (laughs) try to be like, Oh, you know what, just, uh, let's do this. And then I'm running around trying to get it done. Right. So there was a lot of figuring things out that I had to figure out, but I always made a little bit of money and it really boiled down to doing what you said you were going to do.
1: I really like how you talk about personality because that's important to me too. Like I, I see a lot of people do what has to be done. And I think there's a place for that, but, but a lot of times it's like, why do we do these things that we don't like that take us away from, you know, where we can have true energy and passion? So you obviously got away from doing the flipping and contracting, which can be a real headache. Yeah. Was there, what, what strat like what particular offer strategy did you do? Uh, did you use all the different tools or was it like, Hey, I really like seller finance or.
0: Um, with residential, I only do 72 deals, subject to and creative financing. That's it. Um, With multifamily, I'll raise money, get regular debt, buy it, and then we'll hold it long-term, refinance, pay our investors back, and then hold that property until we turn around and resell again. So that's the strategy. Um, But those are very specific. First off, I just want to share this, and and this may help to to your point. I only like pretty properties. Single-family houses, they got to be really nice. If we have to put any more than really 10 grand tops, and it used to be five, but the cost of materials has went up. So <laughs> right. It's, not, it's now 10. Right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> you ain't gonna do flooring and paint and all that stuff for five grand. But um <laughs> so yeah, but like ten sure. grand tops, you know, something really nice. Um, I kind of walk away. Like somebody who's like, Hey, look, you know, right now our target, you know, for a residential, this is not the fund, nothing. The fund is multifamily only. That that's a fifty million dollar thing, it's totally different. But my personal stuff, because we just sold off one of our assets that way. They were behind, you know, either we, it's behind it, we bring it current and it's a really nice house, you know, gated community, you know, with an association, we either bring it current and resell it, you know, because the market was fast or we hold on to it, whether we sell it on a lease option and we do it that way, but you're a realtor, you get it. I'll say this and we say it as a joke. If I don't have to talk my wife off the ledge from wanting to move in it, it's not a good deal. Right. Got it. Um, Yeah. Because, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, too, like, let's say for example, someone's like, look, we got to sell, we have two houses. We're paying on one the other one's brand new we've only had this one for two years um and and we're either going to list it or we're going to rent it cool here's how we can do that we can take it over and we can make the payments and we can do that until we get it resold if that works great um love the place love it but somebody else has to love it too they have to walk by it drive the neighborhood and go "Ooh, i love it right that's that strategy so i picked that up years ago and i've been doing them like that ever since like i'll do less deals but I have more quality assets. Same thing with the multifamily. I do less deals, but I have more quality assets and I'll just, it's easier for me to raise money from investors if we're looking at nice deals. Yeah. Right. Um, which is, you know, which is important, you know, and and I think people miss that. And that goes back to the strategy. Um, you know, people like I wholesale, I flip Like, man, that's great. That's a great strategy. But to your point for me, I was like, you know, I don't want to look for something that I have to stay, hey, we got to get it 70 cents on a dollar, fix it up, turn around and sell it because our profit margin is within this really short window. And I'm like, wow. look, I can have a property that I take over. And this is residential again. We can have a property we take over that has no equity in it. If I'm going to keep it, they don't want it. I'm going to make the payments and I'm going to make that. And it goes to our balance sheet. I'm just going to do that for now. I don't have the work. I don't have the headaches. I don't have to worry about fixing it up. It's in a location that's really nice. And will always it'll always be valuable. I'll do that deal. This is real estate. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah.
1: So I want to get into some of the criteria. So let's sure. let's take it separately. So if, if an agent wants to become an investor, they want to do mm-hmm. single family or very, very small multifamily. What would be the Victor Bell criteria? Obviously, other than it being really nice, like, do you have to have a certain amount of cash flow? Uh, you said you'd buy it at market value. Mm-hmm. Kind of walk us through what is the general buy box parameters?
0: Well, if you're a real, let's say you're a realtor and somebody calls and goes, hey, look, we're getting we're getting ready to move. Like we'll use that same scenario. Really nice property. So let's say it's a, you know, and again, I don't know where everybody is that's listening, but, you know, I usually kind of pick the a middle class neighborhood, but upper like golf course, gated community, things like that. But if somebody goes, look, you know what? Um, You know, this is for a lot of realtors. Sometimes people have to budget the 6% plus the, I budget 10% cost of sale, six plus another four, you know, the closing cost plus if I, I call it go away money. If I'm like, Hey, look, let's say it's a million dollar property. We're going to budget a hundred grand off of that deal. Let's say they owe eight fifty. There's no money there. Seriously. Like there's no money there. Um, that could be somebody go, look, you know what? We'll just take this property over. We'll make the payments on whatever you have and allow you to go on and move on. If they want to do that, it's just an offer. Right. And then when you turn around and resell it at some point in the future, if they're okay with that, great. It works. If it works for them, it works for you. You can keep it, rent it out to a future person that has the potential to buy it later. Right. Um, Those, those, those are deals that we look at. Right. But somebody has to want to do that from a seller standpoint. And as a realtor, it's a little difficult. I mean, for me, you know, my my wife doesn't do our residential. So like our buying stuff, she's a realtor, but I have friends that are realtors and they're like, we just disclose, Hey, look, I'm a real, I'm an agent. This is going towards my personal assets. Um, And, you know, typically if people disclose and you're not doing anything underhanded and you're broker or whoever's on your team doesn't, you know, always need to kind of take a little piece of what you're doing, you know, it's okay. And I always tell people like, so what if they did just pay them? Um, you know, if your broker needs to get something, when you turn around and resell it, you're going to list it and you're going to represent yourself as a seller. Um, and if you have to pay your brokers to make sure you continue to, you know, keep your personal business and your personal investments intact, you know, it's a business like, like just pay the cost and move on. So um, that's kind of a buy box for me, is like something nice, but really it's the motivation of the owner. And,
1: and so basically, does it need to cover itself? Like does the rent need to cover the expenses for you or are you willing to pay out of pocket to keep something like that?
0: Are you talking about a house? Or are you talking about multi- multifamily? It has to cover itself. I'm not gonna- you Correct. Know, from that perspective, but a residential Like a golf house. course house, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. It would need to cover the expense, right? If you get a place and the mortgages, the, the payment that you're taking over, let's say it's three grand, and you're going to pay that per month. You need to find somebody who can afford four grand a month and put down a down payment to be able to cover that. So let's same example, a million dollar home on. So you're going to say, Hey, look, you have two years to to cash this out, right? Yeah. You're not going to sell it for a million dollars for two years. You can be like, Hey, I think this property will go up by at least 10%. So I'm going to sell it to this person for 1.2. And you're going to have to put down at least 20, 30 grand cash, and then you're going to have to be able to afford whatever that is. So let's say if you put down, you know, you're going to do the math. Because if you think, do you think two years later, their rate that they're going to get, depending on where they're going to be, that's going to be based on a 6% rate, hypothetically, then you're going to budget that and go, look, they're going to have to be able to afford 4,500 bucks a month to be able to qualify for this loan later. So you need to set them up for success, right? But to your point, it does need to cover because they're now future buyers You are still responsible, even though you're giving them some form of responsibility, but it does work that way. Because now you say, okay, I'm paying three, they're going to afford, you know, four, that's another thousand bucks. You're going to make them responsible for repairs and maintenance aside from the roof and the plumbing and stuff, because that would go along the line with homeowner's insurance. Right. Because that, that, that's included in that for yourself. Um, You need to know those things, but once, but once and for all, you're taking over this property and you're giving somebody else the right to buy it. Or if your market's good, turn around and sell it, right? Let's say you got to pay three. Let's say somebody says, fine, guys, we're willing to do that. You make our payments. We're going to skirt on down the road. And and let's say there is, I don't know, let's say that same 50 grand is still on the table, hypothetically, for you to make money. If you're a listing agent and you can sell that and you're going to make 50 grand and it's only going to cut, let's say you can do it in two months. It'll cost you six grand to do that. Six grand to make 50 grand. I'll do that all day. Right. And I control the deal and I'm the seller. And if a buyer comes around out of my own buyers pool, I get to control the deal from the buyer side and the sell side, or I work with a good friend of mine's like you that has a buyer and I can be like, Hey Matt, I got a great deal. I will be the seller on this deal. Or I'm like, Hey Matt, why don't we do this? I'll just list it with you. I think it makes more sense. So that way there's no conflict of interest. Yeah. Right. So there's so many different ways to do this, but to your point, if you're like a, a, a realtor trying to figure out like, man, how do I not blur the lines? Just, just just, let people know what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So a lot of times on these creative financing, seller financing, you're turning around and selling them on a lease option or some other form of, of creative financing.
0: Um, not lately, but we haven't had to, right? The market's been nuts. So if I get a deal, like one of the deals that we just did, we got it for six something, six, uh, six and a quarter, and it sold for a million fifty, like 45 days later. And it was the same strategy. But it was a nice house, which is why I said it's got to be a nice house. But there was a scenario why that worked. And I split profit 50-50 with the seller because we'll do that all day. I'm like, hey, if there's a big, you know, hunk of money and you don't want to deal with this thing, I'll go deal with it and use my resources. And I don't mind splitting profit with you 50-50 on this deal. Right. That one I did because there was so much. But sometimes if there's like 75-50 grand and I'm like, hey, there's, you know, like this is a business. We have to make money as an investor. We have to make that. Or if it's a multifamily deal, we're looking at it like one of the ones we did, we knew. We're like, we'll just get into this deal. We'll use our money, our time and resources, take it over from the seller and then we'll refinance into the deal later. And then we'll pay you guys out based on that refinance and take it over, but we're on title. So like there's always, that's on a smaller multifamily. You can't do this with some of the 30, $50 million deals we're looking at now. You can only do that with like, you know. Syndications and funds. Three to $5 million deals. (laughs) That's not a fun deal. That's a Victor deal.
1: And you guys are going the fund route, right? As opposed to the syndication yeah.
0: route. We are. You know why? Um, I think to me, it's all the same. The difference of a syndication thing is the same way with the residential. It's transactional. So you're like, find a deal, push to go make money really hard, close that deal down, close that down. And then you're off looking for another deal, off raising more money. With the fund model, you can raise money all year. You can just keep raising money. You find the deal, you close it. You find another one, you close it, close the fund down and then set up fund two, which is what we're going to be doing. So right now, um, in our fund, we have about $10 million circled. It's a $50 million fund. We're probably gonna be fully committed on the other 30, $40 million, somewhere around August deploy capital. We slowed down on going after certain deals as the markets adjusted with the rates, you know, the commercial rates and stuff. Um, but that's gonna happen, but we're gonna, I'm gonna push right into fund too. you know, I have a big goal for um, bell capital to acquire like 4,000 units over the next decade. That's my target. Um, I'm excited about that. So, because that's kind of the area of my world that motivates me when we talk about mindset, um, that's exciting. I, I can, you know, I, I can have a lot more people invest with me. I can make them a lot of money and then I can do the work because I like working. I, I, I love real estate. I love this business.
1: Yeah. And so when you're doing these funds, are you limiting it to like multifamily as an asset class? How broad are the funds when you set them up?
0: Well, only multifamily for the fund. It just makes sense. You know, one, because in order for you to raise money, you have to share what you're going to do and be honest with you. If you go, hey, Vic, I got a million bucks. Uh, what are you guys going to invest in? And I go, yeah, multifamily. But if we find a good office building, we might do that. And there's a car wash down the street from our lift. You're going to be like, dude, I'm not giving you my money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're all over the place. So I just find it a lot easier to to be able to share. And especially I know multifamily. I've done enough of them. And it doesn't matter how big or small. The metrics are the same. The only difference is the teams get bigger. The teams get more professional. The banking side gets a little bit more, you know, it gets a little tighter. That's it. That's it. And naturally, if you have a fund, you know, you get, you can go to prison if you do it wrong. And I also like that because everyone like, oh, it's too hard or just so many constrictions. I'm like, dude, that is the b- first, you're dealing with other people's money. So that's first. And naturally it's a lot easier to have something like this or a syndication or, or a fund To be able to also have the fund actually limit the person, right? Because there's people out there who want to invest, but they want to control everything if they get involved and be like, Hey, our fund structure doesn't allow me to take on someone like you. So now it's not Victor saying you're a jerk. It's my fund. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So, yeah. But, um, and that's, you know, I, I, I tell people that's important, you know, sometimes to be able to know what you're saying no to, and that goes with, you know, investors as well as, you know, the assets you're choosing.
1: And then does your fund, does it only allow for accredited investors or?
0: Yes. Yeah. It's an accredited only fund. It's a 506C. So and it's, it's accredited only.
1: Gotcha. Take me back to the story. So essentially you get in contact with Bob, you get in contact with Ron through his book. Things are going really well. You buy 1.2 million. You're learning mm-hmm. the
0: game. Where does it go from there? Ooh. Um everywhere. So, so it's like, I keep doing deals again. Like, so that one thing I did with Bob and them, I was like finding more deals. I got more realtors, a, a realtor to kind of help me find deals. And I was kind of buying stuff with Bob and then we would turn around and sell it or we would turn around and hold stuff. And then later I got married. You know, I did this for years. I had different partners aside from Bob, like other people too. Right. A lot of learning, a lot of paying people going to seminars. And then I started helping Bob, um, sell courses. So I was going to seminars cause I found I'm not a office guy and I would mm-hmm. sit there, learn, and then hear something and go, Oh, I want to do that. And then I would leave and go find deals with these new strategies. So I bought a lot of stuff, but then I got married to my wife who was in the military. You know, we got married and then we moved back to Hawaii. So I moved to Hawaii. So we're in Hawaii for the last 17 years. We've been in California for the last, uh, we made four years here just past December. So okay. I bought so from lot.
1: 2019 till now you've been in California.
0: Yeah. 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 was that, it's been about four years. Yeah. Yeah. 2019, eighteen, nineteen. that, that, that bracket, because we got here in like yeah. December. So, um, but my Hawaii thing was exciting for me because I bought a lot of real estate in, in Hawaii because I was stationed in Hawaii when I was in the army. And then I went back there, you know, when I got married later. So that was really where like a lot of my experience came from, because I went from Texas looking at houses that were like 30 grand, 50 grand to Hawaii. Everything was like $300,000, you know, at the time. And now it's like millions of dollars. Um, So it was a big mindset shift for me to like not feel inadequate. I mean, and, and I'm 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 very transparent. Like I tell people in a heartbeat like, dude, that's scary. Like, like the numbers are so big to me at the time because I was just kind of running just, I'm just doing real estate, you know, bear in mind the information people have access to today. I had, I didn't have that. I had a few people that I can pick up the phone and call and be like, Hey, how do you do this? And if they aren't there sitting down with me, like they're going to be like, Oh uh, yeah, I'm not sure, man. You're gonna have to figure that out yourself. So there was a lot of trial and error going on, but I stuck to pretty houses. I stuck to sub twos and I stuck to doing multifamily, which is how I did deals in all these other States. Cause I was doing what everyone else does, which I say is incorrect based on my experience. It's not incorrect, but just my experience made it incorrect it was like, I was in a high price market. And then I kept bouncing around to all these low price markets because I kept telling myself the story, Oh, it's too expensive where I live. So I'm going to invest my money here. And then when I put my money in those markets, I got hammered or I didn't make as much money as I thought. And then I would look around in my own place and I'm like, geez, man, I could have just did this here and i would have made more money even though it would have taken more work so so even now that's my theory i'm like look i've seen this happen over and over again just stick to your own market even if it's more money go raise the money close that deal you're going to make more money in a high price market than you will in a lower price market where people are only pulling down 3 grand 5 grand 10 grand and in your own market you can make 50 60 70 with the same amount of time same amount of work and you can actually monitor your investments Right. So, so that's been a huge thing for me. So to your point, the lot that happened was me moving, buying more properties, getting more people involved, and then also having some personal experiences like, you know, you you go to a seminar and people are, oh, Ohio's doing great. Then I run to Ohio and I buy a 40, I bought a 40 unit building. That building drug us down, man. We had to file for bankruptcy to avoid losing everything else that we had. And then I had to start over. And my buddy was like, dude, we're buying apartment buildings here in Hawaii. Cause I thought it was too expensive. Like who's going to buy a four cap and bear in mind back then, no one paid a four cap for anything other than like, uh, other than like life insurance companies. And he was like, here's what I'm doing. And he showed me how to do it the right way. Right. Who, who he was a broker as well, who owned a bunch of apartment buildings. And I was like, okay, I I didn't know this. They don't teach this in a book. Not, you know, it wasn't like a seminar thing at the time. It's still not. Um, and I bought a deal. Then I bought another deal. Then I bought another deal. Then I bought like, so it was like, Oh, Wow you know, like, so those are my, you know, like you said, like what happened, it was like, I personally had to grow, not the markets. Like Victor had to stop listening to other people and establish who I was going to be and create my own investment strategy for myself instead of, like we said in the beginning, chasing all these strategies who really changed based on market conditions. And to that point, okay. I didn't know what a market condition was. I didn't know, you know, people are like, oh, these are the market cycles. No one was teaching that, (laughs) you know, we didn't know there was a buyer's market and a seller's market. It was just, it just felt like it was happening to me. Like I bought a deal and and it didn't make as much money as I thought, you know, so that sucked. Take me more into that Ohio deal. Ooh, (laughs) That's a bad deal. So you can't see it because my sleeves are down, but it's like, it just got chills. But, um, (laughs) so I bought that deal, uh, seller finance. It was a land contract. Someone brought that deal to me. Um, a buddy of mine who actually teaches, he's a good friend of mine. His name is Scott Shields, Scott, J. Scott Shields, Scott teaches commercial, but, but we, we all know each other. And, and he was one of my mentors as well. I used to also be a, a training coach for Dave Lindall. You know, they do apartment bitches, you know, apartment riches. I said, bitches, but, um, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I went, you know, cause he's from Ohio. So I was going to Ohio, we were going to the seminars and learning and all this other stuff. And I was like, oh man, Cincinnati, because at the time everyone was like, oh yeah, this was in the um, 0- 06, 07, somewhere in there. Um, so I picked up that deal. And again, it's a remote purchase. I was like, oh man, this is a steal compared to Hawaii real estate, right? That, that was what I thought. So um, I was, you know, had some money. We bought this deal, seller financing. We were fixing up the property, but we had a project manager. The property manager was also our project manager. So he was overseeing renovations of the units and this was a reposition deal now they say value add but you know back then everyone was on the term repositioning so got the deal it was uh 40 units or so and then you know it was in a bad neighborhood which also i'm against and because it was cheap right so when we got there it was like 50 percent occupied then it dropped to like 30 and then i was flying down and they were fixing up units and then they were stripping the units after we left from the materials Me and a bunch of other people so it wasn't just the world was coming down on victor it was a lot of -of out-of-state owners at the time and then they closed up shop filed for bankruptcy and it was it and i got a call from a buddy of mine that was a broker in ohio that was like hey vic um when's the last time you you've been to your property because we're we're doing property tours and we drove by your property as well as a couple of others for the buyer that i had and it was like you need to get down here so i end up calling the property management because i hadn't heard from them in a couple of days and then i end up flying down from hawaii you know and again Flying from Hawaii, you lose a day. You know, it's like, it's it's a long flight. So I get down there and our property's in shambles. Like half of it's vacant, half of it's stripped down. Man, it was disheartening. So I literally had to sit down with my wife and be like, hey, you know, here's what's happening. And that sucked. That sucked. That's why I, I don't break my rules anymore about like, hey, just invest in your own backyard and just get nice stuff, you know? Um, so we paid on that property as long as we could out of our own pockets. And again, there was still like, I don't know, 15, 20 tenants still living in there. They're all on section eight. This building was all three bedrooms, one bath. So, which means that there was, you know, wives and, you know, moms and moms and kids living in there. And we're like, dude, we just can't, we just can't afford to pay it anymore. So we had the file, right? Um, That was a nightmare. We went through 12 months in bankruptcy court of them snooping going, dude, you made a lot of money. Where is it? I'm like, I'm a real estate guy. I don't have any more money. I reinvest and I, we got to keep the will going, you know, for anyone who, knows any real real estate guys, real estate guys don't have money. <laughs> they raise money and then they throw it back in their deals and they use their own money for that. So they live off cash flow. but that's how that works if you're not a realtor. So yeah, man, um, we went through that and then I was telling wife, I was like, I'll never put us through that again. I'll never put my money so far away from me that I just can't just drive by my assets. Like, which is what makes me a good fund manager too. Cause I'm like, look, if you're not going to keep your eyes on your assets, I will. Right. So I'm the perfect person for that. Um, I'm a, I, unlike other people that say they're not afraid of stuff. I'm terrified of it. I like, dude, I'd never want to go through that again. So, but we, that first year we bought $11 million worth of apartment buildings in Hawaii, which prior to that I hadn't done, I would bought some small stuff here and there duplex here and there triplex in Hawaii, but that's it. But then it was like, okay, we bought a 17 unit, then a 10 unit, then a 12 and then a seven unit. So like Hawaii doesn't have big assets. So you guys don't know, like, Anything for 20 to 40 units or so, because they don't have a lot of product, they do what's called a condo conversion. So they buy apartment buildings, convert them into condos, and sell the units, right? So anything with 20 units and 20 parking stalls has been condo converted. <laughs> so you're hard pressed to get those unless somebody builds something, but the cost to build is ridiculous over there. So, um, That was my lesson. And I was like, you know, I'll never go through that again. So I I learned valuable things to your point of like my worst deal put me on, put me on notice to really watch what's happening in the world. Right. If you look at what's happening now, people go, yeah, all this money's moving to Florida. Well, I believe that money's going to rush out of all these different markets that people are in because they didn't make their money there. They put their money there. Big difference. So if you're going to play that game and chase yield all across the United States, Take a look at where people make their money and just recognize, hey, it's short lived. They're going to pull their money out. But what you can do is you can look at where they, you know, abandon their forces and start raiding where they left, which is why we moved to California. I'm like, look, everyone's going to move their money away from California and they're going to park it someplace else because it's cheap. And then when those cheap markets become equal to the markets that they inflated, they're going to pull their money out, make a little bit of money from those markets. And they're going to run back home. But during that time, somebody's going to have to buy what they left right? It's harder, but you got to do it. And I, I, I've seen it two times because we lived in Hawaii so long. So I was like, this is normal for me. I, I believe not all of California. I love San Diego, um, San Diego market is totally different. It's like this little pocket. I believe San Diego is 10 years behind the Hawaii market. I wish I would have mm-hmm. bought everything in Hawaii when I was there more, cause I, that's still my market. I still look there. Um, and I also believe that the San Diego market is what everybody's talking about, about uh, Florida, Miami. It will be that here too over the next 10 years because I'm watching what's happening. So, um, and it's not it's not a pitch on San Diego, but, but you know, I, I see what's going on and I'm just looking at it from a real estate investor and I'm not looking at it from pricing. You know, some people are like, yeah, but it's pricing and the government and rent controls. I'm like, that's happening all over the world, right? Even Airbnb's. You know, we watched Airbnbs go away in Hawaii. People were like, yeah, I'm going to get this property. I'm going to overpay for it because I can Airbnb it. And then it was like the hotel industry was like, nope, we're going to stop paying this hospitality tax to you guys if the state and city don't regulate what's happening. And the state was like, oh, hey, guys, in this area, you can no longer do Airbnb. I'm like, why? It's like, because the homeowners are uh, <laughs> you're taking away homeownership. Yeah. So anyways, I'm sorry, man. I know I get excited about this stuff, but this is exciting to me because it's like, you know, when you don't have to learn the real estate, you can kind of watch things happening in it now, right? When you know what you're going to do, like I said earlier, you're like, I know what I'm going to say no to, and I know what I'm going to say yes to. So what's really happening, not what I want to see, but what is really happening probably. And you see that too, as a realtor and an investor, I'm sure you can look and go, look guys, as a realtor, here's, what's really happening. Not what the news says, Right. You know, people are buying still, it's not a, the market's not crashed, you know, and then you're looking as a real estate investor and you go, look, if I were to buy this asset, this pays me cash flow, And I can still become, I can still transition between realtor investor. And I can do that. And I can also do it for myself. I can help more people do it. I can educate the world. Like, like you see a vantage point that other people can't, and that's huge, but you can't do it if you're like too, you're fixated. Right. So I think it's valuable. So, yeah, and you're raising
1: money to buy these really big, really cool assets now. Mm -hmm. Talk to me, and this might be, you know, a a difficult question to answer, I suppose. But you're raising money. And when you do, I mean, you've got a bankruptcy in your past. You've got, you were on probation, so on and so forth. Do those add any difficulty in raising money or it hasn't really made much of
0: a difference? It actually is a benefit to me, right? So because like me having to control a situation that was going downhill and then rebuild. People like, dude, you know, because you know how you hear people, nope, I've never lost money on a deal. And you're yeah. like, so is that going to be my money you lose? When's that going to happen? Because you don't have the wherewithal to put the house of cards back together, right? Because even with bankruptcy, the judge is like, dude, you didn't do anything wrong. They actually kicked my case out. It just drug on so so long. The trustees were like, still searching. And the judge was like, look, you're, you, you don't need to come back. They did something wrong. You didn't turn in paperwork. You can refile. I was like, judge, I'm never coming back here. Right. Yeah. Which is why, which is why I started. So no, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, so you figure during those times that, you know, like to the part, like you let people know, Hey guys, here's what's happened. You know, we had to file with the F, the SEC. Like, Hey, do you have any criminal situations where you've abated taxes? You have defrauded somebody like, no, absolutely not. Here's here's my background. And they're like, oh yeah, no, it's not even there. Right. So a lot of people think that their failures in the past keep them from doing something. But I'll be honest with you, who would you rather have? The guy who's never been on the football field and he's like, Nope, I've only worked at um, you know, a firm and I've just started my own fund, but I've never walked the property. I've never had to deal with an attorney. I've never had to call and find out what was happening. I've only been a spreadsheet junkie where I can read the numbers and I think this deal is gonna work. Prime example, we, we looked at a deal yesterday, it's 195 units. Um, and I was talking to my guy, Corian, who's, who's our acquisitions guy. So we talked We, we talked about, it. I was like, hey, I'm gonna cruise by the site. I'm, I'm big on on driving sites and walking sites. So when I got there, I was like, dude, I love this property. I love it, love it, love it. Like like. So when we talk to the group, if they call back today, I have a reference point, right? So, so to your point is like me having my background has forced me to take a look at stuff that people who've never went through the rigmarole wouldn't even consider ever. They'll be like, you know, I had a a guy, he was like, man, what'd you do? I was like, dude, we've had to actually get hard money loan on a retail property. We bought, I didn't read the lease. Well, this was in like the nineties as well, right? Maybe early two thousands. Didn't read the lease. The tenant moved out. It was a restaurant. I didn't know. So the seller that sold it to me, we had some seller financing on, I had to go back to them and go, Hey guys, you didn't disclose this. I did missed it, but this is still something that you guys should have, should have had going on, right? Cause this was an agreement between you guys. And now I'm subject to this agreement. So my buddy was like, how'd you do that? I was like, dude, I called the hard money lender. I was like, Hey guys, look, you and I are going to partner on this deal. We're going to go after this piece. And then I'm going to bring in my buyer. We're going to eliminate this stuff. You guys are going to get paid off. I'm going to make my profit. And I'm going to negotiate with this person, with the seller second to, to drop this seller second, because they got paid. They did some fraudulent act. We're not bringing up against them. And they're like, you know what? Absolutely. Right. And I was like, and I'll pay the attorney's fees. So if you don't have that kind of stuff in your world, you ain't going to raise money from someone because someone who's astute and sophisticated, that's all they care about. Are we going to lose money? And how are you going to fix it? If you do. Right. Um, it actually, you know, so all the people out there who are worried about ever, raising money and stuff like that. And they need to be squeaky clean. I'm not saying you don't need to be squeaky clean just because I had a problem doesn't make me clean. It actually makes me mm-hmm. better because I know how to clean myself off, right? And I've never not paid anyone back. So that's the difference. Cause my investors so didn't did? lose money.
1: Yeah, so on that Ohio deal, when you guys yeah. had to file bankruptcy, like did
0: you have
1: investors in that deal?
0: I did, I actually paid them back. I paid them mm-hmm. back before I filed. And that was my lesson. Again, we go back to lessons. So if you file for bankruptcy, and you pay people back within a 90 day or 91 day period. They go back after who you paid. You can't pick who you want to pay. Whoa. So they went back to my investors and say, Hey, Victor paid you. We filed for bankruptcy. We need, we need to uh, find out where that money is. And I had to make that phone call, I Called my investors. Like, Hey guys, I had no idea this was going to happen. I've been paying on this thing. I've been doing this. They didn't know either. They were like, don't worry about it. Um, okay. And it, it went the way that I needed to, but again, That's the whole thing. You have to be, first, I'm a person that, you heard me say in the beginning of it, I get on the phone with people. I'm okay with like, dude, I didn't know this was gonna happen. I will fix it, right? And they're like, okay, don't worry about it. So that goes right back to being transparent. You know, everyone's worried. You know, first, if you're an investor and you're worried about losing your money, don't invest. Go get a job, stick to your job where it's safe. Investing money to make a return, a big return, either with yourself or with somebody else is a big boy game, you know, cause I can sh- also show you a bunch of people who are not like me who lost a bunch of money and they're still playing the game like millions of dollars. And they're like, yeah, we just kind of picked ourselves up and moved on. Um, and it sucks. I'm not saying that, but for anyone listening, who's new and they're like, Oh, first I need to be squeaky clean. And two, if I'm not, how do I handle a problem? You handle problems by handling problems. You pick up the phone and you don't hide. You pick up the phone and say, Hey guys, look, here's where we're at. Here's what's going on. I didn't know that was going to happen. Let's move forward. Not on real estate. To your point, these weren't real estate problems. This was a bankruptcy problem, right? This was theft. This was fraud. That was different, right? They weren't like, I bought a deal and it tanked, (laughs) you know? So when you have those situations, those are very different situations. You buy a deal and you just totally neglect it. It goes down the tubes and you lose everyone's money. Yeah, you you deserve to get hammered on that one. But not if you're actively doing what you need to do. And there's some discrepancy because this is a business.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Victor, thank you so much for sharing about your life, your business. Like, it's it's just so interesting to see like the journey, like, you know, obviously it's really, really cool because you had the beginnings that you had and then one trip into a bookstore changed the entire trajectory. Mm-hmm. And you could tell now as you're overcoming these big difficulties, it seems kind of part and parcel for what you did as a young person, right? Yeah. It became part of your framework. I guess the last couple questions I'd like to ask is, One, like what character traits have you developed over the course of your career? And then second, where are you headed the next 12 to 18 months? What are you trying to accomplish?
0: Ooh, um, character traits. I think I've just leaned into the traits that I've always had as a kid that people probably tried to tell me not to do I'm loud. I laugh, I just kind of say anything, talk to strangers. I'll walk off in the mall and and kind of like, where were you? you, you got lost. Like I'm that still, I'm still adventurous. I'm still a kid. So I think those character traits have actually helped me in my real estate career. Because again, this is a people business. It's not a property business. You're like all of these things are you're dealing with human beings. Um, and I'm, I'm genuinely curious about human beings. So I think the persistence and then also the childlike enthusiasm about, you know, people and what's going on in real estate in general, that's helped me as a, as a character trait. Um, persistence, definitely. Persistence, discipline, and actually excitedness. Um, and as it relates over the next 12 to 18 months, we're going to buy probably close to a thousand units over the next 24 months, for sure. For sure. Like, like no matter what's going on with that, that's happening. We're going to roll from fund one to fund two for fund three, because of where I'm going with building this company in this firm. I didn't know what I knew just literally two years ago. I I didn't, I wasn't privy to the information that I found. And and I'll be honest with you guys, you guys heard me say, I haven't had a job since like the nineties. So Hmm. all the things that I've learned about starting my own launching and starting my own fund about all of the things between like what you said, 506B and C and all these different lessons, I picked up the phone and I either paid the money to learn with attorneys. I paid my own costs. I didn't raise the money first and then go start a fund like most people do um i eat my own dog food i go and fly down sit in people's offices hey how do you guys do this what does your investor relations department look like what does your acquisitions department look like i'm doing exactly what i did when i started there's no change in me it's still cold calling hey could you help me i love what you guys are doing can i come and take a look so um over the next 18 24 months we're gonna 24 24 months for sure within that frame we will be up to a thousand units that will be here in san diego county We'll probably be on fund two or three at that time with the capital raising stuff, as well as the acquisition. And I won't stop. Uh, So that's where I'm headed. I mean, that's a short and long term of where we're going. And I'm excited about it.
1: A lot to be excited about. Thank you, particularly, too, for sharing about, you know, these creative strategies and how you made some profits. And you gave some interesting insight into the benefit of investing in higher price markets, which I think a lot of the viewers that we talk to also are like, yeah, hey, I got to go invest in the Midwest. Maybe they'll get a lot of encouragement to, to invest in their home markets, to invest in higher price markets. So I really appreciate that. Guys, if you're out there listening, write something down from this episode that you learned. Share it with somebody you know so that you can take action on it in the next seven days because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.